and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 33. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts will be joining me in just a moment. But today, as this episode releases, it is Friday, November 21st, and within the next seven days, we will be releasing three count them, three episodes of Horror Movie Podcast. In this episode, I'll be reviewing some new releases with Wolfman Josh, such as The Town That Dreaded Sundown, the remake sequel, and Extraterrestrial. And then Josh is going to give us the verdict on Dracula Untold. Then I'll be joined by Dr. Shock, who talks about three more films from his 31 Days of Horror adventure, and then we wrap up with this impromptu conversation about the great Bella Lugosi. And so that's episode 33, and it'll be about 80 minutes, I'm guessing. Then, on this upcoming Tuesday, November 25th, we're doing a special bonus episode. It will be our first themed episode on cryptozoological horror as you have requested. This will be part one of a multi-episode theme and we'll be discussing Bigfoot and reviewing some Bigfoot movies including Eduardo Sanchez's new film Exists and we're reviewing that with special guest Boss Butcher of Terror Troop. But that's not all for that show. Wolfman Josh also lined up an interview with Eduardo Sanchez, and we talked to him about his new film, Exists. And for those who don't know, Ed Sanchez is the co-director of The Blair Witch Project and the director of Altered. So don't miss episode 34 this Tuesday. We want to make sure you know that's coming. And then next Friday, a week from today, that's November 28th, the day after Thanksgiving, We'll bring you our Black Friday horror episode, and I'm going to let Wolfman Josh tell you more about that show in just a few minutes. But let's get down to talking some horror, so without further delay, let's move into my recording with the Wolfman Josh Legary. All right, so Josh, at this point, the listeners don't realize this yet, maybe. Well, we've probably promoted it, but next Friday, we're actually releasing a bonus episode on Black Friday. Do you want to tell them about your brilliant idea? Well, I just thought it would be fun to do an episode. Um, there's so many great horror movies uh, about consumerism. It's kind of like this underlying thematic element. Mm-hmm. And Black Friday, to me, has such an ominous tone to it. <laughs> I thought it would be fun to... Uh, and we normally release on Friday, so I thought it would be fun to release uh, a Black Friday special. Heck Yeah. And especially since um, people stomp each other to death at Walmart and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, Black yeah. Friday has become ominous. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe we have a lot of listeners going to be waiting in, you know, some line out in the freezing cold outside of Walmart at 1 a.m. or something. And yes. So this will give them something to listen to while they're waiting in the line. Yeah. And that's my big goal. I want to have this up by like, um, what would it be? Eastern time. By 2.01 Eastern time, I want to have it up so they could, you know, download it and listen. I'd love that idea. That's really brilliant on your part. You- <laughs> so we're going to be talking about, I mean, the obvious ones are like Dawn of the Dead. That was the one that kind of, um, I don't remember what exactly sparked the idea, actually. But um, 
but Dawn of the Dead is a big one, obviously. Um, we're going to be talking about Chopping Mall. Um, we will be discussing, but not necessarily reviewing films like The Stuff and American Psycho. Oh, and Halloween 3. That's that's actually where I got the idea, was I thought Halloween 3 would be another good one. So, well, we, we've obviously done that re- very recently, but we'll touch on movies like that. Um, and then have some more feature length reviews. We're we're talking about possibly Videodrome would be one of the films. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm missing one. I'm forgetting one. That we've N- about. Night of the Comet. That's what it was. Yes, Night of the Comet. So yeah. it, it'll be a fun episode. We're also going to do a giveaway um, on that episode. Hopefully, we'll have an interview um, with um, some fun some fun people, uh, a director and her husband, who's a writer, and. Uh, They've got an interesting project coming out that they can talk to us a little bit about. And then the husband wrote a book um, that we'll be giving away, hopefully, that episode as well. So should be a fun episode. Yeah, so that'll be coming out next Friday, which is um, the day after Thanksgiving in the United States. So it's November 28th, our Black Friday bonus episode, episode 34. Yes. All right, Josh. And uh, so, can are you able to bring us a review of Dracula Untold, even though it's not necessarily horror, but since it's a Dracula movie, then you want to report on it at least? Yeah, I mean, I think we should at least just let the horror community know that um, it's not a horror movie necessarily. It may still be something you enjoy. Um, I've been having this debate with friends of mine throughout the week obviously um there are a lot of people out there that don't like their humanized monsters i'm not among them i think that's fine i enjoy i enjoy that um my producer on this film i'm working on right now and i got into a big debate about this because you know he's saying it's okay for the wolfman or or frankenstein to be these tortured monsters but i don't want to see that in my dracula you know (laughs) and i and I thought, well, there's so many great tortured vampire characters out there. True, you know? true. And he, you know, I mean, we one that we you and I both love is uh, Burn to Light, which is called Shadow of the Vampire. I think that's a great tortured vampire character. Chronos um, mm-hmm. is one we've talked about in the past. But um, you know, and let the right one in is. I mean, those. I, I think it can be very interesting to explore the tortured vampire character. But he says, okay, that's fine, but not Dracula. Dracula should be pure evil. He's the son of the devil. So I said, well, you then you may actually <laughs> like Dracula Untold because he, you know, he sells his soul to the devil in a way in this film. But really, what Dracula Untold is, it's not about Dracula. Really, it's kind of Dracula Begins, which. I think ever since Batman Begins, every movie has kind of tried to be Batman Begins. But <laughs> yeah, ba- basically, this is a story about Vlad the Impaler. And um, it gives you a little bit of his backstory, how he grew up in slavery um, and then became the ruler of this kingdom. And he's a loving father and husband and just a great guy, great warrior, feared on the battlefield. Um, and he gets to a position in his life where he needs to defend um, his his country from the same people who enslaved him as a child. And the only way he can really do this, um, he believes, is to make a deal with this beast that lives up on the mountain that he knows about. Um, so he goes to the cave to meet this this monster. And these scenes are great, actually. Um, they do smack a tiny bit of like underworld. But but it's all but just because of like it's that really old vampire that you know like 
comes up and he actually kind of looks like Bill Nighy a little bit too, this guy. So, <laughs> um, nice. But, but it's, you know, so it has a little bit of that vibe to it, but this is a sword and sandals epic kind of film. I think if you like the Hobbit movies, this might appeal to you. It's not that much CGI. It's actually way less than it appears from the trailer wow. and way less than a, than a Lord of the Rings type movie. Yeah. I think that's what people were worried about, or at least what I was worried about. It looked like a CGI fest. Anytime the quote unquote horror elements are on screen, it is CGI because basically, you know, um, va- the vampire in this movie travels as a kind of a horde of bats and those, ba- all the bats in the movie, I, I assume are computer generated, but it's not that egregious, honestly, to tell you the truth. I mean, to me, the thing that's least interesting about the film is just, I, I would have liked a little more of the gothic horror element and it never gets to that in this. Now they've announced that they're doing basically a reboot of the entire um, franchise of the entire universal monsters franchise. Boy. And um, it's not clear to me whether or not this is part of that or not. I think there is going to be a sequel to this maybe, but they're talking about the Wolfman being the first in this kind of universal monsters reboot. So it, I'm, I'm not positive um, if this is going to be tied into that. Here's another thing people like to say these days, this Avengers type universe, um, <laughs> no. everything's either Batman begins or Avengers. It seems like in the studio system these days. But. Yes. Yes. So that's what they're going to try to do with the universal monsters. I feel like I've missed my calling in life. I've, you know, let my ancestors down. I should have been further along in my film career that I could be up for. Uh, one of these Universal Monsters movies, because that's really my my life's ambition is to make a Universal Monsters reboot film. But um, oh. I'm not prob- probably not going to get to do it. <laughs> well, and especially a good Wolfman film. And you're not talking about that Wolfman that was out a few years ago. The no, Wolfman. they're talking about okay. a new. They're going to do a new one again. Um, okay. <laughs> and so and so, yeah. The big question to me is whether the Dracula Untold universe is going to tie into that universe. But you know, like there are some great um, vampire um, vampire moments in the cave. There's some great vampire moments toward the end of the film. But there, I mean, it's really just a, a minor footnote to me in this film. It's really about a a father and a king and a you know ruler and I imagine people who like the Game of Thrones type stuff would like this except this also doesn't have the the uh, sexuality and midgets that that show has so I just you know I'm not sure um, I, I'm trying to think of like who would be the audience for this. if you like Troy hmm. uh, this might be your kind of movie <laughs> so you wouldn't call this action horror you would call it more like action fantasy or action epic or like yeah what? It has a, it's mostly an action drama it's mostly a dramatic action epic hmm. with a little bit of fantasy slash minor minor horror <laughs> well that one film critic i read i i mentioned this before he called it maleficent for dudes <laughs> do you think that's accurate <laughs> Not really. I, I, you know, okay. Maleficent has to me a really egregious CGI. So that's like the world that um, Maleficent inhabits. Okay. I can't stand the look of that. This doesn't have that. It's just, you know, it's big mountains with a castle on the top and some trees, lots of, tr- lots of pine trees and lots of guys in, you know, in armor walking around. And at one point they have to deal with a really fast moving horde of bats, but. It looks cool. I mean, like I, I, I like the way I like these kind of vampire attack scenes that are in the movie. They're not scary. 
Uh, they're not horrific in any way, but they're kind of cool. Does he bite people's necks and stuff? You know, like a vampire does. Not the way you're thinking. I mean, there's he has, oh, he, he has like a bloodlust. You know, I mean, there's definitely like that. The thirst plays an element, but again, it's like it, that that part of the movie is so minor. It's just not what the movie is. You know. Wow. Why would they even call it Dracula? Are they just cashing in on? The I mean, name? I think it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting take on the character. If it's you know what it reminds me of more than anything else is kind of that um, Robin Hood movie with Russell Crowe a few years ago, where he kind of like you don't really oh. get Robin Hood in the movie. Yeah. Like, you just get a like maybe one or two shots with the bow and arrow in the movie. <laughs> that's, that's that's what this feels like. It wow. Feels like I've got this character who's eventually going to be Dracula. I like it. I mean, I, I'm not someone who hates the Coppola backstory mm-hmm. for Dracula. I actually quite enjoy the way he handled that. This is another fun take on it. Um, it's not a movie I'm going to revisit because I, I prefer the gothic horror elements, but yeah, you know, I didn't hate myself for sitting through it. <laughs> well, that that's encouraging to me because that Robin Hood film in terms of like a build up prequel, I mean, it was really well made and well done though. It was boring for a Robin Hood film, but I was thinking that Dracula untold was going to be like the Dracula version of I Frankenstein. It's, I mean, I haven't seen I Frankenstein, but it's not like from what I have seen, I've seen, I've seen the trailer and like a clip of the movie. It's not like that at all. It's not totally ridiculous. It's not set in the modern world. It's not, it's not trying to be cool and slick and all the things that I hate about movies. Like I do enjoy parts of like a blade and underworld kind of stuff, but for the most part, keep your action out of my horror, you know, like keep mm, your same. chocolate out of my peanut butter. And this is the, <laughs> this, this is a similar kind of thing. Like, I don't feel like this, this, this doesn't feel like a cool action. Like, you know, like which I, what I, what I imagine I Frankenstein was trying to be <laughs> or yeah. like, I, you know, I apologize, Jason for going there, but like what I would say Van Helsing is, it's not like that. Like, <laughs> although I will say Van Helsing has more horror in it than this movie does. Um, I've got to revisit that one day. Uh, this you- is just a, this <laughs> is just this, this is just a big epic and it's not even that big. It's a small story. Um, in, you know, it's a very small personal tale about this guy and his family basically and you know what he does for the love of his life and if you've seen the coppola version of dracula which is called bram stoker's dracula but is it's not bram stoker's dracula it's francis for coppola's dracula mm-hmm. um you know you see that that backstory with dracula that that coppola invented and um that's even way more horrific than this this is just really a straightforward kind of i don't know what to call it because epic but it's not super epic fantasy but there's not a lot of fantasy yeah, like sm- what it, small sword, scale epic swords and sandals type of film is okay what I, I gotcha that's good see that yeah i mean i really feel like you've done a good job of painting the picture for people so i feel like the listeners will have an idea i, I know our buddy willis wheeler from terror troop he gave it a four out of ten and called it a void he said it's absolutely not horror to him but, it's um, not horror, but he really he said it was kind of like an Avengers, didn't he, or something like that? Yeah, I, I seem to remember something along those lines. It's not that it doesn't have that scale. It doesn't have a big sweeping, you know, a tons of CGI with big airships. It's just a small story. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there there are a couple scenes where there's a lot of CGI, but it didn't bother me to to be honest. And I'm not someone who enjoys CGI at all. So you're not. That's true. It, it it's not distracting for me. It's it seems like maybe one or two scenes tops where it's like, okay, this is it's boring to me. That's for sure. But it's not like yeah. egregious. Okay, I got you. And I still have your rating from Movie Podcast Weekly. If you it hit me. Do you remember it? Um, I don't remember what I said. You rated it a 5.5 out of 10 and you called it a rental. So, yeah, and I, and I think if you like that kind of movie, it's probably rates higher. You know, I've got a friend that all he watches are films like Troy and Robin Hood and Alexander, and those are his favorite types of movies. If you like that kind of stuff, this is a, it's fine. It's a great entry. Um, I just think for our specific audience here who would be expecting horror just because it's called Dracula, you're going to not find anything you're looking for there. Yeah. I mean, I just feel, of course, like the freedom of expression and artistic license and so forth. Of course, people are free to do things, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I don't like when people take a monster's name, for example, and incorporate it in something that's not a monster film. Just like I don't like taking Abe Lincoln and incorporating him in a monster film, I think I like dope. I like that movie actually. But even though, again, I don't, I, I could, I don't like exactly how they handled it. But mm-hmm. I think that's a fun premise for a, for a, a horror movie. It, it became too much of action CGI fest. That has way more action and way more CGI than this movie. It also has way more horror than this movie. So okay, well that's that's also a good indicator then. So. There you go, listeners. Now you know about Dracula Untold if you haven't they could have called it. this Vlad, you know? That would have been... But the thing is, is they have to call it Dracula because that's how they're making their money. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because if they had the guts to just call this Vlad the Impaler, that would be... It would actually be kind of cool. Like, it's just, you know, or like... Or, you know, on the other hand, it's like... It doesn't even really have the impaler part. Yeah. It doesn't have the, this is like Vlad the King. This is like the second prequel. <laughs> the other prequel would be Vlad the Impaler that shows him actually doing all that killing. Well, that's what I was going to say. I doubt it even follows the historical person very well. Because if you, if you did make a realistic film that depicted the things that that, that freak show host did... <laughs> then that would be a hardcore horror movie. That guy was scary. They touch on his story, but it, you know, you're meant to like him and you don't really get to see much of it on the screen. There are a couple cool shots at the beginning where they're talking about his, his time in the, in the army, but it really starts with him as a father, you know? Hmm. Okay. All right. So that's Dracula untold. And at this point, uh, let's move into our feature review of the town, the dreaded sundown. Grandma. Do you remember anything about the murders? Your great-grandpa and your great-grandma lived in this house when it happened. He was the boogeyman, they said. Can't catch the boogeyman. Can't kill the boogeyman. You know, before that summer, everybody would leave their doors unlocked. And after the summer, you saw a stranger. You'd run the other way. And now? He's back. All right, El Josh, you reviewed this for us on Movie Podcast Weekly, episode 19. That was during all of our Halloween episodes. So, you know, we're a couple weeks later getting this out to people. And um, you did a tremendous job, by the way. And by your review, I had actually tempered my expectations because the original film 
1976 version, you know, I, I, there are things about it I like. I, I was like very middle of the road on that with my rating. Um, but this new one, I got to tell you, I love this movie. I, I was really, really astounded at how... Um, I mean, you said positive things about it. You said really good things about it. But I was astounded at the lack of um, excitement that you had because this is like fine. This is exactly what I've been wanting. And that is a modern slasher film that's well done. And this is well done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I think, unfortunately, and I think it was... um the guy who runs the pod body awards, Jape man, mm-hmm. I think someone compared it to scream. And for me, the character development in a film like that of those kids, um, is so far beyond what a lot of slashers are willing to do. And to me, that's really one of the things that makes the, that movie, because again, the more we care about these characters, the more I care when they die, the more horrific that all becomes. And, you know, he was talking about this kind of postmodern, situating of the story and including the film. And and I mentioned this on the movie podcast weekly review. It's, it's more like scream three. If I had to compare it to one of the scream films mm-hmm. in my mind, but, um, but I think that just be, my own expectations set me up for a little bit of disappointment there. I do like the original, you know, we talked about this on our proto slasher episode. Yes. Um, and you and I both rated the original a five. Mm hmm. And so, and I called it a low priority rental, actually. So I, I it's something that I was I wasn't crazy about it, um, but you know I, there were elements I liked, and I like this one better, uh, frankly. Um, yes, but it still wasn't a knock me out of the my socks kind of movie. Wow. Well, see, and tell me how you feel about this because I don't want to misrepresent your feelings as I often do but like as i want to do this that's right but um you know a slasher film has a very basic simple premise it's usually a guy in a mask killing people it's usually a whodunit um you know he offs people one by one a lot of times it's teenagers i mean the formula is so basic and so simple and there's not a lot of commentary. Now, you know I love like the subtext of films and when films are a little bit deeper than they seem. But with a slasher film, I don't need that. I just need the formula. And I think this brings that formula. Now, are you are you docking this because it is merely a traditional slasher film? That's a good question. I don't know why I'm docking it necessarily. I mean, it's been a little while now since I've seen it, but... Um I felt like it really lacked in substance and that's what I like about the modern slasher. I mean, I, I love me a good 80s slasher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what, you know, there haven't been many good modern slashers, but when they are good to me, it's always about, um, them succeeding on this kind of character level. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and so and I felt like this movie, I love the setting of this movie. I love the way they shoot the setting of this movie. Yeah. I like the postmodern elements. I do think some of them are kind of hokey, but I think, and I mentioned this again in our movie podcast weekly review. And now you can actually comment on this. I felt like they're kind of trying to be so showy with the camera. Mm-hmm. It, there's there, you know, all their canted angles and big giant sweeping, uh, you know, steady cam on top of a crane shots. Yeah. You were they're cool. I like it. It's fun, but I feel like they're almost like got distracted with that. And I think that's easy to do when you're directing, um, 
like when you're directing a movie and I, and I haven't, I haven't directed a fictional feature, just documentaries, but I have done some short stuff and I've noticed it's really hard to, to do two, to, I mean, that's the reason there's a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. If you're too focused on the camera stuff, it's really hard to stay on top of the tone and the performances. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like that, that becomes a distraction. A lot of times you see guys who, um, who are really strong visual artists, like, David Fincher, or Michael Bay, but a lot of the times they're slave to the script. Like if the script is good, the movie's good, and if the script sucks, the movie sucks. And um, and <laughs> yeah. I think that's because they're you know, and you can even say this about Ridley Scott at some points in his career. These guys who are just really amazing visual artists sometimes aren't staying on top of the story and their performances. And I, I kind of felt like that here. I, I didn't care about the characters as much, not even close to as much as I wanted to. And if I compare this again to something like Scream or even Halloween H2O, which are, you know, just I'm just throwing those out there as modern slashers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care even a sliver for these characters as much as I do the characters in those movies. Well, I do. I will give you all kinds of credit. You're exactly right about the, um, it is stylistic. Like you've said in your previous review of this, like I, I agree that there's some definite style to it, and some of it is unnecessary. Like a lot of times, for the listeners who might not know this, now did I'm you not, ever find it distracting? Yeah, I did actually, absolutely. And I'll, I'll just give them an example here. Um, for the listeners who aren't aware, I mean, sometimes a filmmaker will, a filmmaker should use all the devices at their disposal to help tell the story. And if it doesn't, if it's not at the service of the story, then you are risking detracting as uh, the wolfman here has described and and one of those little techniques is something called a dutch angle what's the other phrase for dutch canted. Angle? yeah canted so like the, they'll tilt the camera kind of sideways a little bit and usually that's a storytelling device that indicates that something is wrong or in a movie where something is extremely wrong i've seen where they have the camera upside down and that's like very extreme tilting it is kind of extreme truth be told well in this movie it's like guy Ritchie does this kind of stuff all the time yeah and that's and it's just overkill but the, the thing is in a horror film it's like yeah we're in a horror film you got the dismal lighting you've got the scary music and you've got people dying and blood flying everywhere so obviously things are wrong right so it's almost redundant and like you said it's distracting and so i I back you on that like they did get a little bit too happy with their fanciness so i totally agree but as far as the characters i mean i didn't it wasn't like the performances stood out to me as as poor. And the the lead girl, um, Jamie, is her character's name, but the actress is Addison Timlin. Um, you know, she's has a great screen presence. She's easy on the eyes, and there's something about her that's just really endearing. And she kind of drew me in. And I don't know if it was because I just thought she was, you know, fun to watch or or did you like her? How do you feel about her? I thought she was serviceable. Which is a really rude way to say that if if she were listening to the podcast, but um, I thought <laughs> she was. <laughs> I thought she was. I thought she was fine. I didn't. I didn't think she was terrible. Um, like she was likable, but again, like kind of going to the Scream franchise. You know who she reminded me of Ew. was Emily Mortimer in Scream Three. Like she has this kind of weird presence and kind of damaged quality that you're not sure. Like is she the killer? And maybe that's fun to kind of play around with, but I don't think they really do play around with that. I think it's Mm -mm. ultimately for me just a little distracting again. 
Okay. So the fact that she had a damaged quality, because um, to me, that's kind of a, a, a good trait for a, a victim type of personality to be vulnerable in some way or to have some kind of frailty to yeah. them. Yeah, that's true, too. I don't know. I just, I don't know. She didn't, she didn't have a lot of charisma for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I found her very charismatic, but it was probably because, you know, I found her attractive. So maybe that was it. But but Josh, you did a, a brilliant job explaining this in Movie Podcast Weekly. Will you tell the listeners, in case they don't know, how this film relates to the 1976 film and the real incident itself? Can you kind of describe that? The movie tries to set itself up as though it takes place in our world, right? So it, it, it 2013 to be exact. Yes. 2013. Right. So it, it takes place in a world where in real life, in our world, there were some actual murders in Texarkana called the moonlight murders. Mm-hmm. Very similar to kind of like the Zodiac killings, uh, or at least some of them kind of these lovers lane murders. Yes. And in real life, they made a film about the Moonlight Murders called The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. 1976. Yes. 1976. Within the world of this movie, that movie also exists. Which is so cool. It's a cool idea, yeah. So you described this as a remake slash sequel. Is that how you said it? Because you were dead on. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and then, which is cool. And then, so, so they reference the original movie this entire time. And then, much like you know something from the Scream franchise, you've got a person, a killer in the present, either continuing with their original reign of terror, or working as a copycat killer and um, mm-hmm. and continuing these murders. And a lot of these murders happen in in a similar way to the original movie. So yeah, that's where you get the sequel remake. So. You know, it's it's almost like someone's making a, what is it? Scream two. Someone's making a real life sequel to Stab. Like it kind of has that <laughs> vibe to it. Like someone is recreating all of these iconic murders from the first film that existed. That and not only that, they're showing clips from the original movie. To have character names that cross over, it's really bizarre. And I think yeah. sometimes it's too much. For me, I just think it's just um, love. I think that the filmmakers love the original film, and I think they're loving it with the fans. And for listeners who don't know this, the Moonlight Murders, the original actual murders, occurred in 1946. And so, by the math of this film, like if the killer were continuing his reign of terror, then it would he'd be what like somewhere around a hundred years old. They say in the film, exactly, yeah, something like that. So, um, anyway, that's super interesting to me, and I, I love how they not only do they show the clips of the '76 film, which is cool because it reminds you of the the kinds of kills that were in that film, and then you see them come into play. The same kills, you know, done in this movie. So it reminds you of that in case you're rusty or unfamiliar with the 76 film. But they also show you, there's a brief little clip where they show you the making of, which I'm sure wasn't the making of, but they reenact the making of the original film. Do you remember that, Josh? I, I, I'm not remembering that, actually. But, you know. It's brief. But Another thing that comes into play here is the real-life director, Charles B. Pierce. And so this is another weird postmodern element, like meta-meta <laughs> element where – they're referencing this real guy, Charles B. Pierce. They're referencing his real son, Charles B. Pierce Jr. 
but they're changing the reality of those two guys' lives. They're changing Charles B. Pierce's backstory. And they're coming up with a whole new reality for his son, who's a guy who's still alive. Like, it would be really weird to be the son and have yourself be like a possible suspect in a murder, <laughs> like a serial killer murder movie based on your dad's movie. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I'd love to sit down with that guy, the real guy, just like, what do you think about this? <laughs> yeah, I, I do wonder. Like, if I'm sure they've, you know, the guy heard about it, and I wonder how he felt about it. But um, so Josh and and I hope the the listeners won't think that I'm talking down and in any way because all of our listeners are smarter than I am. But if you were to define that postmodern term that you use there, I mean, they use that in film classes, and until I learned what it meant, I found it kind of annoying. How would you describe what you mean by postmodern? Well, it's it's actually a really hard thing to define. People write their doctorate theses on it, but <laughs> right. um, for like a like, there are several elements that. Um, I would describe as postmodern. The easiest way to like reference movies with it would be the way Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino wrote movies that were referential of pop culture. The way this movie does, it's it's taking place in a reality where that movie actually exists. And Mm so it's what a lot of people call meta these days, although they're not exactly the same thing, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an awareness of culture um, it's seeing things from a, a different point of view and it's, and it's, it's an audience participate. It has like an audience participation vibe to it because yes. one of, one of the great um, postmodern theorists, Roland Bart, you know, is famous for his, the death of the author, basically the author's mm-hmm. dead. And so it's up to the audience to kind of good example. take something and they want, you know, take it and run with it and kind of create what they want out of it. The Truman show is a fully postmodern, Yes. Movie. If you want to like a physical example of postmodernism, look at the Truman Show. Um, I also like, like the definition, like um, the reappraisal of modern assumptions about culture. Yes, it, it's like you're reassessing um, what we felt or believed all along about culture and what what makes it fun. If I can be so nerdy as to say postmodernism is fun. What makes I think it is. Yeah, I think it's fun too. What's make it fun is like sometimes you kind of, when you're doing this kind of exercise in art, like making a film that's of this nature, it kind of exposes some of the fallacies or the things that we believe that were either silly or actually inaccurate. And I think that's super cool. I think to, the most important thing to me is uh, to express about postmodernism is that the meaning is in the symbol, right? So the way that we express meaning to one another are through symbols, whether that's the language we use, whether that's the movies, the art. And so it's not that the meaning doesn't exist, but it's not meaningful unless, you know, it's the symbol that makes it meaningful. Did I make that more confusing or less confusing? Just, no, I, I think it was pretty good. So to me, that's the most important kind of idea about postmodernism is that the language we use, the way we think about these things, the way we talk about these things can affect our understanding of the meaning of them. Yeah, I'm glad you defined it because I think it really does play um, an important role in this film. And oh, like let me give it, let me do a quick example. That's better example. Okay. So like the reappropriation of a word, right? So the N word, and I'm going to say it, nigger is a word that was used to keep a group of people down, but within modern black culture, 
That word has been reappropriated by African Americans, and you, queer is another one that's been reappropriated by the gay community, and they're using it differently. So they're taking the same word and putting a completely new meaning behind it, and they're taking control of that and giving it back to society and saying, this is what this means now. Mm, that's an excellent, yeah, very good examples. Well, here's something I was actually really interested in asking you about. Um, did you feel like they pulled off successfully? I mean, some of this movie looks like actual documentary footage. Now, obviously it's not. This is a fiction film and so forth. But um, I, I think they capture that and that gives it a little bit of, um, I don't want to say a found footage feel because that's not really accurate. But it does give it a, a little bit of realism to me and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they were going for that too much in this again. Like this is the, they borrowed that idea from the original again. That's, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a conceit of the original film. Um, you know, this film is made by Charles B. Pierce, who most people, if they don't know the town of dreaded sundown, will know the legend of boggy Creek. He's kind of one of the first guys that was doing mockumentaries, at least in the horror genre. Um, so you know, I, I, that existed uh, previous to this, and they kind of riff on that a little bit. But again, this movie is so stylized, and like the camera is is so active in this movie. I didn't really, I didn't notice that kind of documentary aspect that you're talking about. Okay, so much in this in this version. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a ton of it, but some. Um, I should also note for the listeners, you know, people like to keep track of films that at least partly occur on Halloween night. This is one, which is cool. Um, in the original from 76, one of the most famous kills is we're probably the most famous without question is the trombone kill scene. Right. And so this has its own version of that. And you said you thought it was like more plausible and I would agree. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think the first one's scary other than it's just, so weird that it's scary, right? <laughs> yeah, Whereas I feel like this is actually an effective kill. Yeah, and it's there's um, what's the word? There's a little bit of um emotional weight to it as well because there's it kind of becomes a hate crime of sorts. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's already murder. It doesn't matter if it's a hate crime. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> the way that we describe hate crimes, it's like when somebody does something to someone else because they're of a certain race or religion or whatever, right? It, no, I know. I'm doing I'm doing a stand up comedy bit. I'm sorry. That's um Oh okay. <laughs> Pete Pete Holmes, one of my favorite comedians we've talked about on movie podcast weekly, has a joke actually where he talks about how they're trying to make killing a hobo a hate crime and he's like, It's already murder. Like <laughs> hate hate is uh taken for granted in a murder. Like we can we can assume hate in a murder. <laughs> That's a good point, but in horror, and I and I see what you're saying, but I'm just saying there are killers yeah, in horror. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and I think it actually is symbolic as well because of who those characters are, like the mm. the manner in which it's done. Exactly. Now, um, this also has one of my favorite things in a horror movie, which doesn't happen a lot, but when you have awful things said or done at a funeral. I love awful funeral scenes. And the best of all time is in Pet Cemetery, of course. But this has a funeral scene. It's very subtle. I probably shouldn't even mention it because now people are going to be looking for something great. And it's not. But I just, I love awkward funeral scenes. <laughs> just like I love cartoons and horror movies. I think that's good. 
So I believe that Slasher fans will love this. I think this is something that they've been looking for. So I know it's something I've been looking for. Do you think that this will appeal to a Slasher fan? I would say so. I just think there was just so much there. I would have liked to see so much more with Joshua Leonard's character, you know, Joshua Leonard from Blair Witch Project. I feel like mm-hmm. there was so much more for him to do. Gary Cole is a great actor. There was so much more there for him to do. Uh, my favorite scene is when they go see Dennis O'Hara who's playing Charles B. Pierce Jr. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just felt like there were, some, there were a lot of depths that weren't mined here. So that bothers me. Um, the one kind of meta nod to the original that I – that I thought was too far was Anthony Anderson's character. Um, just be having the same name. Yeah. The guy. That bugged me. I was going to ask you that. Um, yeah. Cause I'm like, well, <laughs> how, even in this world, how is this? Cause yeah, you could see a copycat killer doing the same kind of murders, but how does he end up having the same name? Um, As a fictional character. Yeah. Ex- that's why, that's why it went too far for me. Yeah, and I agree. I think that was a step over the bounds. Yeah, because yeah, in the original movie, there's a fictional character. And in this film, which is supposed to be set in reality, he had the same name as his corresponding character. Yeah. And um, that was kind of dumb. Yes, totally agree. Now, um, by the way, a little side note, something I learned from this. They mentioned in this movie the Axeman of New Orleans. And I wasn't actually familiar with that killer. And I looked him up. He was a a serial killer in New Orleans. And um, it was like in 1918 to 1919. And for those who are fans of American Horror Story, in that miniseries, um, the one called Coven, it features a fictionalized version of the Axeman Axeman of New Orleans. And um, he's played by Danny Houston. Oh, I love to meet some Danny Houston. Of course. Yeah, I, I pictured him. I'm like, wow, picturing that guy as a serial killer, that'd be freaky. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap up this review, um, Josh. So I, I still have your rating here if you don't remember it, but um, do you want to go ahead and rate this t- Town That Dreaded Sundown remake slash sequel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really good for what it is. I think, I don't know. I can almost raise my rating a little bit. I give it a six. And called it high priority rental. I could maybe bump it up to a seven for this audience. And I know there are some of our crossover listeners who hate that I do that. Um, but you know, this is a movie targeted more at the horror audience. So I think there's going to be more appreciation than there would be with the general audience. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I feel okay about doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty good. I, I, you know, I think it has the shortcomings that I mentioned, and I think you know those all those those do bother me. I think it's still a fun movie, and it's definitely an interesting movie. It's worth seeing just because there hasn't been a film like this in quite a while. Um, yeah, well, there's never been a movie exactly like this, but there hasn't just been a this kind of a straight up slasher in a while either. So yeah, uh, yeah I think it's definitely worth checking. I had something else I really wanted to say. It slipped my mind. If it comes up, I'll bring it up yeah yeah just just yell one more thing i wanted to say is that in the same way that there was the thing from 1982 and then you had the thing from 2011 which was a remake prequel actually like it was kind of a remake in some way but it was also a prequel well this is the same kind of thing except it's a remake sequel and i think that's interesting i remember what i wanted to ask you so okay tell it I said that I've liked the look of the killer in this movie 
because it harkened back to the original, but it felt a little more rugged to me. Mm-hmm. And you asked if they had the the breathing scene, and I couldn't remember. I wasn't sure if it was because I happened to look away during that moment or not. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, did you notice if it had that breathing scene we all like so much from the original? Yeah. You and know, did you like the look of the killer? <laughs> I do. I do like the look of the killer and what you described about being more rugged. I think that's exactly right. Now, this is weird and I can't explain this. And I don't I don't have an answer for this, but I, I promised you I watched this movie. I did not pick up on it. And and you would think I'd be looking for it because it was so important to me. So I don't know that it was in there, honestly. I mean, I'm sure it was. I assume it was. And maybe it was more subtle. That's, I mean, that's the best I can do. Isn't that yeah. ridiculous that I don't have that? But uh, no, it's to, interesting. to be honest, I, I really don't know. I mean, we both missed it. So there's a probably a pretty high chance that it's not there. Maybe it's not, and I just wanted it to be. But yeah, that was one of my favorite things about the original and his his crazy, crazy eyes, you know, through the mask in the original. I mean, they did pretty well with that again in this one. But but again, this is a different person, so mm-hmm. yes, true. it makes sense. It makes sense he would be acting differently. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. I feel better about it already. So yeah, for me, um horror fans out there this is a nine out of ten i love this movie this is a one one of those kind of movies it's a definite buy i say buy it and it's one that i could watch honestly once a year once every two years maybe and i'm being dead serious i love this it's like i've been waiting we have so many ghost movies and supernatural movies wolfman that i just want to have some some modern slasher stuff it's funny like you mentioned that a lot, and I honestly had never noticed that until you said that. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't even register for me. But. <laughs> well, it's like... I think because most of the slashers I watch are from the 80s anyway. Like, there's so good, so few good modern slashers that just didn't even... Yeah. Well, see, and that's what's interesting. I mean, there are slashers that are modern and new, but they're in the indie world. And I mean really low-budget indie world. Like um, that movie Sweatshop... Okay, from 2011. Ah, uh, yes. Did you see that? Oh, no. Okay. But Bill Shetty talks about it all the time. Yeah, all the time. And it has some of the most terrible acting I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, it's really bad. It's a- offensive as in, like, the performances are poor. But the kills are incredible. The killer's incredible. And, like, you know, in indie-type slashers, you really kind of got to mine through a lot of stuff to get the gems the so-called gems like mask maker was another one from that year that um it's really good you mentioned the orphan killer um so yeah i mean there are good ones out there but in, in terms of a uh, a horror release that's in theaters that's uh, and and this one was, wasn't in theaters either but this seemed a little more <laughs> mainstream actually so. well it was it was it was on t- i mean it, it it was a big mainstream release it was on television on halloween night they they played um the original and this back to back on um mm-hmm. epics it's epics epics that's right with an x all right so anyway that's our review of the town that dreaded sundown and um i we hope people will check it out and let us know what you think now we'll move into feature review of extraterrestrial. We're in trouble and need help. What happened? Look, I know that this is going to sound crazy, okay? We saw something crash in the woods. What the hell? No way. This is definitely not an airplane. 
Okay, Josh, this is one that I'm excited to tell you about in particular because you're the kind of guy, of all the guys I know, who would appreciate something like this. And here's why. Hmm. This is an IFC Midnight release here. Nice. And it is a traditional alien abduction movie. It has so many of the usual tropes surrounding alien movies all the way down to the look of the alien i mean it looks like the gray yeah the traditional like um i call it traditional at this point it is like the communion alien except yeah, they call those grays the grays okay yeah except he's um these aliens are like really tall and slender and that's kind of freaky right because they're like i don't know seven feet Maybe yeah. six and a half, seven feet tall, and it's kind of freaky, and they're really thin, but they look exactly like that. And so it's really weird to me that, that you've got this movie, and if you look at the just the cover art, for example, it, the ship, the spaceship is a flying saucer, the traditional like <laughs> 1950s. So it's like you did everything cliche, and they still came up with a movie, a little horror film here. It's actually a really good time, and and that's what's most impressive about it to me. I mean, everything about it is just just very familiar. Now, and and the only um, <laughs> the things that are unfamiliar are the cast, except for there's one face that you'll definitely recognize, and that's Michael Ironside. He's kind of an older actor. You've probably seen him in a lot of stuff, but he's not one of those people that you you know. He's a character actor, right, Josh? Yeah, yeah, he was a classic character actor. Exactly, exactly. So this opens, the opening credits make it feel a lot like an X-Files episode. And I'm like, okay. And and, and it was never clear to me whether this was a horror film in the beginning. Because I'm like, is this, I don't know if this is really a horror movie or not. But trust me, it is. Um, it, it has some, it's one of those hybrid movies where some of it's conventionally shot but there are elements of found footage you know so parts of it remind you of um cloverfield and that like you know you got these people it's this group of kids they go out to this like um cabin in the woods and uh they see a spaceship basically crash near them and it, it reminds me of that scene in the beginning of Cloverfield where they see <laughs> that ruckus going on. And and so it's the same kind of thing there. Mm. And um, and then it ensues, you know, hilarity ensues as our friend Andy says. But basically, you know, this alien it crashes near them. And once they get to the site, they check out the site. But the alien is gone and it ends up coming back to their house, which mm. is very freaky. And, yeah. the, and the aliens are really active in this area and they're abducting people and so forth. Um, this is written and edited by the Vicious Brothers. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by Colin Minahan, which is one half of the Vicious Brothers. And for those who don't know, those are the Grave Encounters guys, one and two. Yeah. Okay, so... I like those movies. Yeah, I mean, they're they're okay. And... Um, the characters in this act a lot like Roland Emmerich characters where you've got, I mean, I actually thought a lot of um, Independence Day when I was watching this at first. And so I know everything I've said here sounds bad, but um, actually like the sheriff, for example, the sheriff is a great character. It takes like 28 minutes until we see the crashed UFO. So it, it does take a little bit of time to get on going. But is once- the sheriff Michael Ironside? Oh, no, no. No, no, no. 
Yeah, the sheriff is um, Gil Bellows. He plays Sheriff Murphy, and okay. I, and I love that character. And um, yeah, his storyline's really interesting. Um, he's but, a good actor. Yeah, he he really is, and he's the kind of guy like if I made a movie, you know, I might look for that guy and try to cast him in it. He pulls it off. But um, I love movies where it kind of reminds me a little bit of the proposal, not the proposal, <laughs> the strangers. <laughs> Because there's a proposal in it that doesn't go very well. And so you have that setting up the evening, you know, where it's kind of um, going awry and then it just gets a lot worse. But this movie, the reason it's effective horror film, this is the kind of movie that you'd want to watch with somebody who's really jumpy and, you know, somebody who scares easily because they get a lot of mileage from shining a light around in a dark room in the darkness. And so the, the light pans, you know, the camera pans and then you see something. I mean, they get, sounds a little bit like a signs rip off. Jason, is that, no, 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 no. That's like a major technique they used in science. That's true. And I, and I love signs, but signs is strictly a thriller. This thing goes horror and the aliens are creepy and kind of scary. They're pretty fast. They're pretty agile and (laughs) they get pretty hardcore. I will say that Mm -hmm. like, um, you might not believe that, especially in the beginning of the, the film but you get like you get some kind of graphic kills and it's like surprising how far it goes i will say that michael ironside chews the scenery he's almost a comedic type character he's like he's supposed to be really hardcore to the point that it's supposed to be funny but what is funny is in imdb trivia for this i found this hilarious it's it reads and i quote (laughs) Because because Josh, we know the IMDb trivia isn't always dependable. It says, yeah, in the scene where one character is probed with a spiked probe, <laughs> the filmmakers consulted probe professionals. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that hilarious? It's like, well, that sounds really official and reliable, <laughs> that information. But anyway, yeah, there's a, there's a head blown off scene that is amazing. It approaches... The excellence of the one in Maniac, and then um, this has one of those great scenarios that I love in horror movies, where you're you've got a siege narrative moment where the characters are, you know, there's a breach happening and they have to go down into the basement, and then you hear the monsters above. So I guess yes, it is in some ways a science ripoff. It's like they took every Alien movie of the last <laughs> twenty years, Josh, whether it was horror or not. And really tried to throw it in here. Because, yeah, you can hear them banging around a lot. And they're trapped below. Kind of like we see I, I in... I kind of like that. Like, that appeals to me. Because, you know, like the Flying Saucer, for instance. It's all based on real sightings. You know, the people have called in and, mm-hmm. and you know, and reported. And so I like the idea of tying that to, you know, the little bit of data that we have about, you know, at least, you know, what people claim to have um, encountered with... Yeah, that's fun. That's fun to me. That makes it actually really fun. Yeah, I honestly, when I saw this the whole time, I thought, I really think Josh will love this movie. So I, how does it compare to Fire in the Sky, which is my favorite alien? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think it's as good as Fire in the Sky. That's a pretty freaky alien flick. But this is more. See, I think Fire in the Sky is freaky, and actually Communion, which is more of a drama thriller, scary. That Communion freaks me all the yeah. way out man yes. man and part of that's christopher walken of course but 
But this one is more along the lines of like a fun horror movie like that you'd go to the drive-in and see. Which is not to say it's crappy because it actually looks pretty good as far as that goes. But I, I love that they get trapped below and it, you know, you, you get that in Exists and we get that in Signs. You get that Night of the Living Dead. I think it's very cool. And um, anyway, this is a sci-fi horror thriller. And as I said, it's got tons of tropes and conventions that you're familiar with, but it does them well. It's kind of a mild horror movie in some ways. It, it, it gets pretty hardcore toward the end, but it's very fun to watch, especially with somebody who's really jumpy, jumpy. Um, okay. But it, it does turn into a, a... Would you ever watch this with your wife? And no, it's too much for her. It's definitely too much for her. I mean, in some way, I, even though I said it's mild, that means it, it doesn't have a lot of hardcore stuff in it. But I would deem it by the Kyle Bishop rating. It is a serious horror movie because the dog doesn't fare well. <laughs> and and it ends like a horror flick should end. And that's not a spoiler. I'm just saying it has a disturbing horror flick ending. So this is a 6.5 out of 10. It's a rental. It has classic alien tropes, but it's still creepy. And something unusual, just a little PS, this has a stinger at the very end of the credits, but it's strictly an audio stinger. It's not visual. So there you go. That's extraterrestrial. So you going to check that out, Wolfman? I'll watch that, actually. Sounds pretty good. All right. I can't wait. Did you see, did you watch your VHS 2 ever? Yes, mm -hmm. I have seen that. Did you like the alien attack in that movie? Well, not as much as most people. That that was um one of my least favorite, and a lot of people I talked to said that was one of their favorite ones. It's definitely the one the most memorable for me. Like it's the one I think of when I think of that movie. Yeah, it stands out for sure. But anyways, right. let me so know. That, when so you that's see this. worse than this, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, I I think so. I like this better than that, and. Right. Yeah, and and even the title is generic, extraterrestrial, right? Yeah, I mean yeah. it's so funny how generic they go, but it's they still pull it off so well it's done. Not always, that's not always a problem, you know. I like I like the embracing of these traditional elements. Yeah, and and you know if you look at that the cover art, the poster art, that poster art really gives you a good feel for this movie because yeah. you know in as much as it's like. Um, I don't know what the word is, cliche looking. It's also cool looking. So, I mean, that's that's yeah. a good indicator. All right. And at this point in episode 33 of Horror Movie Podcast, I want to turn it back over to Dr. Shock again because I think he had some other horror flicks worth mentioning from his 31 Days of Horror. What do you got for us, Doc? Okay. Well, I do have a few um, to just sort of uh, touch on briefly. I mean, I... I covered the the main ones mm -hmm. on the previous episode but um yeah there there are a couple more i could just go into you know just briefly here one of which is is one i actually talked about before in land of the creeps and it's from 2004 and it's a movie called creep yeah. uh and it is about a girl named kate she goes to a party she's a german she's living and working in london and a friend of hers tells her that, hey, there's another party going on and George Clooney's going to be there and I can get you into this party. Well, what happens is, you know, Kate's doing some other things. She finds out this friend's gone. She left already. So she runs to the, the nearest, you know, uh, underground station. She's going to try to catch a train and, you know, catch up with her. Well, she falls asleep on the on the platform. You know, she'd been drinking, obviously. She falls asleep on the platform. And when she wakes up, 
The entire station's empty. It's and it's been locked down for the night. Okay. Uh, one last train does come through, and when she gets on it, there's a coworker of hers named Guy. Now he had been putting the moves on her at this party, and he's on this train, and it looks like he's following her. So she tries to leave. You know, she's getting a little creeped out by this, but then Guy jumps her. He tries to rape her, but before anything can happen. He's pulled off this train. Nobody, she doesn't see by who, but pulled off this train and dragged away. <laughs> well, she, she eventually does find him. He, he, was, he was killed. So they, she figures there's this murderer loose in the station. So she's running around. She's trying to get out of there. She eventually comes across a, like a homeless couple, um, gets a hold of a night watchman, trying everything she can do. But this, this creature, because uh, it is a creature, ends up killing these people or, or killing, you know, other people as well and, and taking out other people. It turns out that this is um, a sort of a deformed mental patient who's been living in this underground medical facility, <laughs> you know, under the underground. Yes, um, like, a, and, like a humanoid beastly freak. Kind yes, of. it reminded me a lot of the creatures from The Descent. It yeah. had that look to it, totally. you know? Um, Good look, too. I mean, it looks exactly. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I am a fan of the star, Franca Patente. Mm -hmm. I am a fan of hers because I really like the movie Run, Lola, Run. Yeah. And she was, a, she pretty much was a big reason why I really like that movie. But she was a, a character in this who has, you know, she does have a certain strength to it. The party scene, you know, she comes off as a little bit, you know, a little bit arrogant in a way. But things really go south for her, obviously, is the... uh as the evening wears on. Mm -hmm. um, but I also like the setting of this, you know, that, that sort of train station when nobody's there. Yeah. Like midnight was, meat train feel. Exactly. Like yeah. the midnight meat train feel, because it takes on a very ominous, uh, it, it just feels very ominous. It really you know, does. When, when, when there's nobody else in this place, it's usually bustling. And you just don't know, you know, you just don't know who's going to be down there with you if anybody's down there with you. Yeah. You know, it, it even opens up with these two sewer workers at the beginning who encounter this, this creature, you know, and they encounter a woman, too, who's almost like a like one of the victims. Um, so the movie kicks off really well. But this is actually a, it's a good one. You're right. And I think I think a um, uh, like a humanoid beastly freak. That's a good way to put this because mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was. And then when she finally does get to that underground facility. Um, that's where it just really takes off. You know, it, it just gets even wilder than you're anticipating it's going to. Yeah. But see, uh, we reviewed this on the weekly horror movie podcast. It was episode nine. Uh -huh. Terror Tovey assigned this to me. And it's interesting because, um, and I don't know where you're coming in at on this, but everybody kind of came in middle of the road. I'll, get, I'll wait and give my rating later. But there was something about it, even though he looks great, it's really creepy, there's uh -huh. something about it that didn't quite deliver as much as I wanted it to. It's like, this could have been a great film, but I really had trouble putting my finger on why I felt a little bit dissatisfied. What would you okay. say it is? Like, I would probably come in. I see this. Obviously, it's not one of the top ones because I didn't discuss it yeah. in the previous episode. Right. Uh, I would come in probably at like a, a six with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's worth a rental. Yeah, see, that's what Bill Shetty gave it a six, and mm -hmm. Midnight Corey gave it a six. Terror Toby was at a 6.5. They all said rental. 
And for me, it's a 5.5 and it's a rental. But yeah, we're all in that mid-range. But why? Because he, he looks freaky. Yeah. It's pretty hardcore once, mm-hmm. you know, you get down in there. So, like, what is it that's lacking, do you think? I, You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's a good question, you know, because it's not it, – even though as I was watching it, and you do get pulled into it. I mean, it, it – it, it pulls you in, especially in, in towards the end there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it gets, and it might have something to do with uh, just, just, just earlier. I don't know. That's that's because it I know takes what you're a while. About yeah, well, it's not so much that I don't know if it takes a while. <sighs> She's sort of running around the station, mm-hmm. um, and she encounters these homeless people, and the homeless guy goes out to sort of help her, and they find this guy and. I don't know. It's 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 hard to put my finger on. Yeah. It was not one of the ones, and 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 it's like at you at first glance, it's like it's hard to pick it out what it is. It might be the flow. Maybe it's the it's it's the it's the pacing of it where it it seems like it might be a little slower at times. Yeah, yeah. I I, I definitely felt that. I think that's true. Um, you know, but but again, I don't know that. I don't know why I didn't rank it higher. I don't know why I didn't put it as one of <laughs> the fifteen I discussed, but I just didn't. You know, it just it, it didn't quite make that cut. I mean, I am recommending it. I think people should watch it. Yeah, definitely. I I do too. I definitely think people should lo- watch it. But it, it's just it's always kind of struck me this movie. It's like the premise sounds great. I like mm-hmm. the cover art. I mean, I love the humanoid. You know, I love the monster of it. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, me too. And if any, but you know, it's funny. But if anybody asked me if they if there's only one movie about a subway to watch, you know, uh, what would it be? And I know that there's one called one from the '70s. It had Donald Pleasance in it. It's a Deathline, was it? I think I actually mm-hmm. reviewed that one. And and um, I got I got to say, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. A lot of people are really big fans of of that movie. And that's another one with sort of a cannibal underground in in um in the un- in the London underground, uh, and it does have its moments, but I it didn't quite I wasn't quite as big a fan of it as other people are. But the one I would probably go to would be Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, I dig that one, but um, where that one ends up going was a little bit wild. You know, I don't know. Oh yeah, it, it gets it. <laughs> They both end, they just get more. I mean, you know, I didn't even mention it, but The Loved Ones gets that way too. Now, you've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. The, even the, the, as it gets towards the ending of that one, it gets to a point where like, whoa. Yeah. You know, like when they, when, especially when they uh, open up the basement doors. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I found my notes here on Creep from uh, mm-hmm. the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast. And um, I, I think my biggest complaint is it takes about... 48 minutes before it really kicks into a, a a horror movie. And so I think that's what bugs me is because like I, I wanted them to chop out because the first 45 minutes is a lot mm-hmm. of expositional setup and right. it does get, you know, it gets that creepy mood or whatever. It, it's atmospheric and so forth, but I think it takes just way too long to get going. But something I praised about this movie was... um. I said that this could be one of horror's very first, very few, or at least, anti-abortion films. And at the same time, you know, some people could argue it's anti-abortion, and then other people could argue that it's, like, pro-choice as well. I mean, that's pretty right. interesting. Can't go into that much more because of spoilers, but um, right. it's kind of interesting, like, 
the commentary that you could read into this. But I mean, honestly, I think that it's still good enough to rent, but I think the first 45 minutes, you know, have something to eat maybe while you're watching it. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that or not? I I do. And I think that might be the part of, like I said, there was that sort of pacing at the beginning Mm -hmm. where it did seem as if it was a little bit slower and it did take a little bit of time to possibly get going again. It didn't completely take me out of the movie. Yeah. because I did think that, the um, you know the setting, just that that quiet setting in in, in the underground station. I think that worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that more than likely that it it that would have something to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, for people who and and you're one of these people, I would say for people who are you know not in a huge hurry with movies, you and just right. enjoy the ride all the way along. Uh, and and I think you're very good at that. I think that this is definitely a good rental option for people. Oh, definitely. I I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so that's Doc says Creep from 2004 is a six out of ten, and he says rent it. Mm-hmm. All right, great. What else you got for us? All right, another one here. Uh, this is a movie called From Within. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> from 2008. Okay, Um, and it's about this. It starts off with this kid uh, named Sean, who's angry. You know, we don't realize it at the time, but Sean's sitting there with his girlfriend, and um, they're reading from this book. It's almost like some sort of uh, spell book. And all of a sudden, you know, he kisses his girlfriend, and he pulls out a gun and shoots himself through the head. Okay, what that does, though... Okay, and he kind of smiles as he does it. What that does is it unleashes a curse on this town, a town called Grovetown. And what happens, the whole idea is that Sean's mother was accused of being a witch. This is a very, uh, a lot of religious fanatics in this town. She's accused of being a witch, and she was actually burned to death, okay, mm-hmm. um, by several of the, you know, what am I trying to say, some of the leaders of this community. Yes. So by killing himself, he unleashes this curse. And what it does is it, it almost like um, implants something in, in people's heads where they see themselves. And it's almost like the, 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 these, these doppelgangers are chasing them and trying to kill them. And they end up killing themselves. They commit suicide. You know, and his brother, Dylan, this kid, Sean, has a brother named Dylan. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. Dylan is the, is okay. Let me, let me set this up here. Okay. All right. I'm just looking at my notes here and I got that wrong. The, okay. The main girl, uh, who we follow in this. Okay. Uh, her, her name is, uh, Lindsay. Okay. Uh, she's a character. She lives in this town. She's sort of part of the town, but she does at the same time realize that some of what goes on there isn't right. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, um, is going out with Dylan. Now, Dylan is the um, uh, preacher's son, and he's one of the uh, most uh, aggressive of the religious zealots, Dylan, even more aggressive than his father, okay? Um, And she actually befriends this kid named Aiden. Aiden is Sean's brother, okay? Mm -hmm. They live out in a house where his mother used to live, um, and... It, we come to find out that there was some truth to, obviously, the, the, the claim that the mother was a witch. Uh, and that's where it goes from there. And what happens is each time a person comes near or is near the body of somebody who has died, 
this curse jumps to them, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's how it spreads through the whole – that's how they think it's going to spread through the whole town unless they find a way to stop it. And Aiden um, does eventually regret uh, that this curse has been released even though he sort of had a part in getting it started and he does what he can to try and stop it. Okay. I like the premise of this, all right? I did like the premise, um, and I liked how the curse jumps from one person, you know, one person at a time, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not like three, four people are getting this all at once. It's going from one to the other, and, and it's, they, they're tricked into hurting themselves. And, you know, these, these like, visions of themselves are, are pretty horrific, yes. all right? They, they, they're very demonic-looking, okay? So you can certainly see how that would affect people. And then it, it gets them when they're looking in mirrors. One girl sees it as she's driving down the road. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the strong points. I think that's one of the, like the, 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 their eyes, you know, it's like the, these eyes of these, of these, uh, of, of their mirror images are just so lifeless and it really gets you. You look at them you're like, Oh my God, you know, it, you could definitely see that's one of the, for me, that's one of the movie's strengths. Okay, is in the look of these doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I agree 100% with that. Okay. It's freaky. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, the problem I had with this one is I thought that the payoff of each encounter wasn't, uh, you know, it's like each one as they progressed it was a little less satisfying. Mm. There's this one, okay, this one with this girl, Molly, is she's got the curse in her. And she's running, and it it sort of you know corners her and cuts her wrists. Okay, it, it pulls her arms through a door, and cuts her wrists on the glass on the window pane. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it it is a violent end, but it's not like a very creative end. None of the deaths in this are are as interesting as the encounters with the doppelgangers themselves. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's not quite. It doesn't quite have that that sort of strength to it, you know, right. where where none of none of these people are doing themselves in in especially interesting ways. <laughs> but there is one great kill with a big pair of scissors um, that I yes <laughs> yes I think is oh, good. Yes. That is a good one. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree with you on that one. That is a good one. You know, and another thing is is this. Okay, uh, I mean, we've seen these in movies before where you get these. Um, you know these uh, again these these Christian zealots mm-hmm. who are you know you know spewing all this hate and everything in the name of God. It's a little cliche, mm-hmm. especially with how aggressive they were. Yeah, especially he, Dylan. You know, with his, with his father not being as aggressive, you kind of wonder why Dylan is so aggressive. Yeah, these are almost like you could call them evil religious yes, zealots. Really, exactly like, because they're. They're the the ones who brought the, basically the ones who brought this curse to the town. And this family okay. of witches is more sympathetic, which is yes. ironic, right? It like, is. It is more. Yes. Yes. Um, I do think it's a well made film, um, and I think it does have you know some surprises that that keep it interesting, and it definitely has its chilling moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 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 final scene is. I did not see the final scene coming, totally. you know, with what happens. And then what they show over the ending credits uh, is pretty strong stuff. So I would give this one probably a six also and mm. say it's worth a rental. Okay. 
And you've obviously seen this. What, what, what did you come in with this one at? Well, yeah, I came in lower and uh, a couple reasons here. Like, first of all, I reviewed this. Let's see, I, I did a written review back in July 2012 for the Horror Palace Network. Okay. And um, that's when I reviewed it. So it's been a little while, but I was looking at that review again. And the first thing it brings to mind with the, the suicides. Oh, by the way, you asked the rating. I, I ended up giving it a 4.5. It's barely okay. missed a rental for me. So it's ultimately in a void. Although I, I agree with most of what you said here. It's just a little bit. The witchcraft theme is so just mild and underwhelming. I wish they had done more with that. And when you when you hear something about just this weird plague of suicides, mm-hmm. I, I'm always, and it's not this movie's fault, but I'm always taken back to the happening. And that's not a good association. Right? Oh, no. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to bring, yet. Yeah, going back to the happening for anything is, uh, but but wow. doesn't that's kind of a similar you know because in the happening people are just like offing themselves right and left. But I will give this movie credit on something, Doc, and and this this is what almost made me you know really want to recommend this to people. If you think about it for a minute, it's kind of a circular idea that they have going here, where a person commits suicide and takes their own life. But in this movie, the evil version of the victims self an evil version of themselves is killing them so on one hand they seem to like they're murdered by some external force or another being but since they are in reality or they appear to be murdered by themselves it's still technically kind of a suicide it's almost like i wonder if there's some kind of underlying (laughs) commentary on suicide here i i don't know it's just like the ultimate betrayal and i think that concept is horrifying so i give the movie props for that okay do you think i just did i just get too weird or something no no Uh, no i know i know what you're saying i i know what you're saying i don't know it didn't i guess i didn't get that deep into it oh okay i got you you know but no i do understand what you're saying yeah but um but no i you know this is something that you you definitely could watch and, and i wouldn't you know, I, I didn't hate watching her at anything, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it's hard. It's really hard once you get on that line on the rental and avoid line because there are so many movies out there that you want to see. And it's like, well, right. but, you know, you did a I good know. job selling it. I'll I'll tell you that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But again, it is just a rental. Okay. For me, too. Um, you know, for the reasons I was saying. Uh, okay, and the last one I want to go into now is a movie from this will be this will sort of wrap it up. It's one come from 2008 called Amusement. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, and it's about this. Um, now, what th- this kid is is teased by these three girls in his class. Okay, uh, it starts off that way. It's like a young kid, and actually, though, something he does kind of <laughs> lends itself to him being. Teased. It's not like these these three girls sort of went after him for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't get into that because it's kind of an interesting little reveal when they show that scene when they do that flashback to when they were kids. But anyway, he grows up and he's he's mentally disturbed. He spent a lot of years locked away in a, in a psychiatric ward. Uh, and once he's released, he comes looking for revenge on these three girls who gave him a hard time when he was in school. None of the three really hang around with each other anymore. But what he does is he stalks each one of them and he abducts them and drags them to an abandoned underground facility 
where he set up all of these like pranks. This, you know, he likes to think of himself as a joker. Okay, mm-hmm. that are going to like really kind of designed to just torture them in a way. It, and um, he, he dresses like a clown, right? Because I remember the well, cover art for this. I'll tell you what. Okay, if you look at the trailer, you look at the cover art, you're going to think this is a clown movie. Okay. Yeah. There is one sequence in here with a clown. It's the best sequence in the movie, but that's the only time this guy's dressed as a clown. Oh, man. I thought this was an evil clown movie. No, it is not an evil clown movie. If you watch the trailer, if you look at the the art for the, um, like you said, the DVD or even the poster, Mm -hmm. you are going to think that is what they were selling it as. Yeah. Okay. They were selling it as uh, as this as a twisted clown movie. It's not okay. The best sequence in it is about a clown. What it is is the, it starts off. Um, it almost is like an anthology of because it shows us each of the girls' abductions. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and how they do it. The first one, and they just call it by the character's name, Shelby. All right. Happens on an open road. Her and her boyfriend um, are heading, you know, they're going down the highway. And um, Rob uh, is her boyfriend, and he joins a small convoy, you know, because it helps them move quicker down the road. Well, anyway, this one convoy he gets involved with gets them, you know, they end up going off the road to get some gas, and something happens. But what happens isn't, you know, it ends up having this big twist in there, okay? And I didn't see the twist coming in this segment, okay? Mm-hmm. But, okay, I won't get into the, the troubles just yet. All right, next one is is called Tabitha. That's the next girl. She's just gotten to the home of her aunt and uncle. Uh, they're out of town, and she's going to be watching her young cousins. Um, you know, uh, the babysitter left before she got there, um, which is a little strange because she's like, wait, you know, left these little kids on their own. They're not old, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, this one is like a home invasion style tale, and it is the one with the clowns, okay? And it is, for me, the best of the three segments mm. of the abductions, okay? It is handled very well. Um, then the last one is Lisa. She's with her boyfriend. Um, you know, she's helped. They're trying to determine the whereabouts of her roommate, her and her boyfriend, this roommate, Kat. Uh, she was going to some hotel, and they go looking for her. And when they get there, this guy is waiting for her there. Okay, so he's kind of involved in what happened to Cat as well. It is like a mini anthology, these first three, because they're all in very different locations, very different styles of what he does to abduct them. So it is like almost like three little movies in the in the movie. And then it leads to this big part at the end when they're all together. Mm, I liked that. I liked that setup of it. The guy who plays the killer, his name is Keir O'Donnell. Or who plays the maniac. He does a really good job. He's got this laugh, okay, that he does. As a matter of fact, they even call him the laugh. That's how the credits refer to him. That really, it's going to send a shiver up your spine, this guy. And you can hear it coming sometimes, you know. He's just sort of unhinged. And the girl mm-hmm. who played Tabitha, Catherine Winnick, is also pretty good. Like I said, that one section with her in <laughs> the looks, house is the best. She looks pretty good, in fact. <laughs> oh, yeah, she does. There's no doubt about that, okay? <laughs> anyway, there are some really good moments when they're together as well. 
one of which uh, has the victim, you know, has the two girls on each side of the room, both tied up, and another one in the middle in this glass sort of hallway that she can't really get to either one of them. And she's looking at them tied up, and it looks like this, this like horrific violence has been done to them. Okay. Um, so you have those, those strong scenes. Okay. It does have, the movie has some plot holes that it never fills in. In the Shelby segment, I was telling you at the beginning, okay, Mm -hmm. there's a part that involves this truck driver and this female companion of his, okay, that when the twist finally comes, a lot of what happened prior, like a few minutes prior to this that led up to this big sort of chase, Mm -hmm. you're kind of like, well, what was that all about? They never even bother telling you. They never really fill it in. (laughs) I think they make a little lame attempt to. But it's just it just doesn't work. Okay. So yes, you get a twist in there, but it kind of it kind of negates everything that came before it. Mm. Not everything, but this one big segment that came before it. Okay. Uh the final abduction, the Lisa one, didn't really work for me. It kind of came off like it, they moved through it too fast trying to get to the main story. And maybe they took a little bit too much time with the first two. So they kind of rushed through that. Probably the biggest thing is that the way they sold the movie, like you said, you thought it was a clown movie. Yeah, okay? that that really bugs me now. Yeah, because I've been they, really curious about seeing this, but yeah, the clown figures into a good into a good scene in the film, but that's it. All right, and uh, that's absolutely it. Hmm. Um. Now, what, another thing that it does is it shows us the the segment where the three girls kind of looked at this kid when they were younger and looked at him and said, hey, this guy's weird. <laughs> but it never shows the ridicule he goes through. Okay? We never see him being teased by these girls. All right? To us, the, in the movie, for, for what we see, they look like three girls that this kid is terrorizing with what he's done. So we never see them picking on him or them making his life a living hell. But I wonder if the, the, they chose to do it that way so he doesn't become a sympathetic character. He well, remains ex- a monster. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Our sympathies are always with the victims. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But if this guy remembers them to the point that they teased him that he's going after them, I think we should at least see that. We should at least see what they did. What did they do to him? Maybe they shouldn't be sympathetic. You, you know, like, you like sympathetic monsters in your movies, Doc. I'm, I'm really coming wow. to that conclusion. Yeah, I, I, to a, to a degree, but <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, maybe, but maybe it would be sympathetic. I mean, we saw what he did to them, but we have no idea why he's going after them. So you wanted more motivation then? I wanted to at least see what did they do to to drive him to this. We we get none of that. Okay, I see. In this movie, um, with that though, it it you know it's it is it's not perfect, but it's good. Okay, and it has moments where it approaches even more. Thank God, I'm not going to say great, <laughs> but it has moments where it's it approaches that it could even be better than just a good horror movie. Hmm. Okay, um, I'm still not going. to I'm going to say probably five and a half, okay. and I will say it's a rental. All right. Um, rental for amusement amusement if you are going in with thinking you know it's a a clown movie Mm -hmm. you will be disappointed but 
it does have segments that work pretty well. Well, I bet you the fact that you told us that, that it's not a clown movie, mm-hmm. we'll probably receive it better when we finally get around to seeing this because yes. yeah, cause then your expectations won't be you know, dashed. Exactly, as long as you go in knowing that. But like I said, if you watch the trailer, that's all, they, that's all they're really focusing on. It sounds With, like what they try, you know, since you said that is the best sequence involving yes. the clown, it sounds like they really tried to hang that flag and... You know, pin the movie on it. To a degree, yes. But what happens is in the other two, he's not wearing a costume. Mm. He's just sort of himself. Yeah, yeah. So they couldn't really, you know, that's why why they're focusing on the clown. Because it makes it more of a monster type movie. You know? Because, I don't know, not monster, but you know what I'm saying. This costumed killer which seems to be very popular obviously in horror movies so mm-hmm. it gives him a selling point with that whereas in the other ones he's just he's just a guy in in like maybe wearing a false mustache or something right <laughs> you know it is entertaining there are moments that it, it is it's not even sporadically entertaining i say it's mostly entertaining okay well that's good i mean i you know honestly because if something's a five or up, I'm down, you know, you know, five still rental for me. Yeah. Four point five is kind of my line where it's like, maybe not worth my time, but you know, that's something I'd check out for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and you know what, that's, uh, really, those are the three that I was, uh, I was going back and forth with whether I put them in the even honorable mentions. And I eventually didn't, because like I said, I didn't think they quite were as good as the ones that I covered on the last episode, but mm-hmm. I did want to at least touch on them. Nice. Okay, well, thanks for your coverage. And you know what? I bet I can speak for all the listeners when I say, I hope you do this every year. I hope this becomes a new tradition and you bring us your picks out of the 31 Days of Horror because that's cool. I think I will do it next year, but I think what I'm going to do next year is I might look a little more towards the past. Okay. This time I did it more recently. I might look at older horror movies that I haven't seen before. And there are quite a few of them. That's awesome. Um, and, and, and yeah, I would, I would definitely, I had fun doing this and I, I think uh, it is something I'd like to do every year. You know, what might be cool. And um, I'm not t- trying to tell you what to do, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, this is just an idea. What if, um, and you probably have a list like this, where if you put together these older horror movies that you've heard great things about all along the way. And you're like, mm-hmm. they've always been on your list. And then you do 31 great movies that you've heard great things about at least. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's an, I mean, that's a lot of them. That's what I'm going to be doing. Like uh, some of them I've not like that. I've I know I've not seen before. I've never seen the devil bat. Okay. Ellen Lugosi. Neat. You know, movies like that. Me neither. And, and, <laughs> You know, uh, I've never seen The Devil Bat. I've never seen the sequel to, like, I've never seen Dr. Fives Rides Again. I've seen The Abominable Dr. Fives, but I've never seen Dr. Fives Rides Again. Um, So, yeah, there are ones ones that I've not seen before. Uh, Obviously, I've covered a lot on the blog already. Mm -hmm. I've covered all the universal uh, main horror movies and a lot of their sequels. Yes. Um, I've done some Hammer horror movies. I've done um, a lot of the 80s slashers, so... I'd, I'd have to wait and see what next year brings, mm-hmm. but I'm sure I could come up with a list of of 31 you know, 
classic or at least old time horror movies. Well, the Devil Bat that I wanted to see. That I, you know, I looked up the poster and everything, and that looks that looks really intriguing. I'm excited yeah. to hear your review of that. Actually, yeah, being a big Bella Lugosi fan, you know, I absolutely I love. Even if I don't like the movie itself, I usually like Bella Lugosi in it. Sure, because he's always giving everything. Oh yeah, he has to the part. I mean, you you see him in and Glenn or Glenda with Ed, you know, Ed Wood's Glenn or Glenda, <laughs> or or Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla, which yeah. are just abysmal movies. Right. Bella Lugosi is is giving it everything he's got. He's All not heart. He is not playing down to the movie's level he is trying to bring it up to another level see i mean well and that's the guy i mean he was even buried in his dracula cape that's right that's how hardcore bella lugosi is and absolutely yeah and he was he was actually one of the um four heads you know of horror that i put in my mount rushmore of horror oh cool he was yeah, he's the one I chose for the actor to represent nice. horror actors. And he, he definitely he definitely deserves that honor because you know it's yes, Karloff in, in some respects might have been the better quote actor, unquote. Okay. Mm, yeah. Because Karloff was a strong actor. All mm. right. You watch him even in other movies that he's done, you know, and he was a good he was a good solid actor. Bella Lugosi, I think, obviously was a very good actor too, but he also had, was a very strong personality. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of charisma, I think, that that worked to his advantage as well. And he was in so many memorable horror movies. I mean, you know, Island of Lost Souls. He was in the very first zombie movie, you know, White Zombie. Yes. He played Frankenstein's monster. He played, uh, he was in The Wolfman. He, his character was even called Bella. In the Wolfman, and he ends up being the werewolf who bites uh, Lawrence Talbot, <laughs> Lawrence Talbot, to turn him into a werewolf. <laughs> you know, so he uh. he really he he had such a strong, and it's it really is a shame because the the guy never did get the notoriety he deserved. He never got he never got paid what he was deserved. Yeah, I mean, him and Karloff were both in a movie, The Black Cat. All right. Similar, uh, they both had a lot of screen time. I don't time it to see who had more, but they were both main characters in the in this movie. All right, and they were adversaries in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a book on. Um, I have a biography of Boris Karloff, and I'm, I was you know thumbing through it to see what it said about the Black Cat. That's probably my favorite of the movies that both of them were in. I think they made something like six or seven movies that they were both in. Mm-hmm. And Black Cat for me is far and away the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, the Raven is good. The Invisible Ray, they, they're all, you know, none of them are bad, but for me, the best one was the Black Cat far and away. Well, Boris Karloff was sort of hemming and hawing whether he wanted to go back into horror because uh, of the makeup. And it's funny because it wasn't the makeup for Frankenstein. It was the makeup for the mummy <laughs> um, because of the way that it was applied to him. It did damage to his face. Yeah. You yeah. know, when it was coming off and everything. So he was not happy with that experience. So he was sort of staying away from horror. He wasn't really he wasn't really interested to get back into it. Boris Karloff was in New York, I think, appearing in a play at at the time. Um, and they they had to they to get Karloff back, I think they gave him somewhere along the lines of fifteen hundred dollars a week with four weeks guaranteed. Something like that. Or seventeen hundred and fifty a week. 
with four weeks guaranteed. Mm-hmm. They got Bella Lugosi for a thousand a week for three weeks guaranteed. Oh, okay, that's terrible. And they both, and you can even argue Bella Lugosi might have had more of a part in the Black Cat. It's close. I mean, you know, because Karloff's in the movie quite a bit, but but Lugosi might have had more screen time. But he just he he didn't get. I think you know. I don't, and I don't know why. And I, I I'm real anxious. I got a biography of him just recently as well that I'm real anxious to get into, um, and sort of find out. You know, it's like almost like with the. With the Three Stooges, those guys were never paid what they were deserved. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, they should have—they should have been millionaires, and the studios basically made them paupers by that, the end of their lives. That goes on all the time, though. I mean, even today. I mean, you got a movie where the lead actor, somebody who's pretty young and whatever, and then Jack Nicholson's in the movie for ten minutes, and he makes substantially more just because of <laughs> you know yes I mean? and that's yes sickening. true i mean but now you do have the unions kind of watching out for actors too mm-hmm. making sure they at least get somewhat of their fair share you know that they get a minimum sort of salary yeah uh, and interestingly enough karloff and lugosi whatever odds they might have had with each other and i don't know that that their the the animosity they felt off screen is as as valid or as strong as a lot of people said. Mm-hmm. I don't think they weren't friends. They didn't certainly didn't pal around with each other. Um, but they were both very big in starting up the actors' union. Mm, um, Karloff on on one of his movies, he kind of got everybody sort of PO'd because he stuck to the union rules of of an uh, what an eight or nine hour workday. And that's it. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times back then when you were doing a movie, that was kind of hard to do. (laughs) Right. They would would run much longer than that. Um, But, and both of them were very, like, and that was one thing they worked together on was getting the Actors Union started up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, another thing that happened with Lugosi is um, he was... I think one of the saddest aspects to his life and his legacy is because of his his Dracula, you know, persona. He they kept that going, and of course he kept cashing in on it. And you know, people would always try to get him for that. And then it got to the point where he would commit and agree to play that character in almost any role, even like demeaning roles that are like parodies well, of himself. And he, yeah, but but oddly enough, he only ever played. Dracula twice on screen, the character Dracula. Now, mm-hmm. he played a vampire two other times. He was uh, he played right. a vampire, obviously, in Dracula. Mm-hmm. Then he was in a movie, was it called Mark of the Vampire? Which I think was a remake of, um, Todd Browning directed it, and it was a remake of um, London After Midnight, the Lon Chaney movie that's lost now. That's mm-hmm. lost, you know, nobody, it's gone. I'm hoping somebody finds it in an attic somewhere, but for right now, it's gone. Yeah. Um, and Mark of the Vampire is an excellent movie up until the last three or four minutes. All right. Mm. The last three or four minutes undermine it in a big way. But prior to that, it's a really good movie. Uh, and then he was in one called Return of the Vampire from the 40s, where he played, you know, he's not playing Dracula per se, but he is a vampire. Mm hmm. Uh, and it was that was, I think, the first movie that had um, vampires and werewolves together, if I'm not mistaken. That's interesting. Maybe not. Maybe, I'm not sure about that. I, I know, but I'm pretty I, – I thought I had read that somewhere. Um, but then the other time he played Dracula was, of course, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Which I love. 
I do too. Yeah. Uh, that you know, I like a lot of the Abbott and Costello meat movies. <laughs> right, but that uh, one is that's the best. That's it, far and away the, the, primo. the best. Absolutely. You got you got you got um and what what's so great about that movie is that Abbott and Costello are handling the comedy. Right. And none of the monsters get involved in the comedy. No, they play it straight like they it's a horror making, film. Absolutely. They're making a horror film. And that's in why. In their minds, they're making a horror film, and yeah. that's that's how they're playing it. <laughs> that's right. And so, if yeah, if the horror fans out there, if you've never seen that one, even though it's got Abbott and Costello in it, it's got comedy in it, um, you know, I think you could... You could call that loosely a comedy horror uh, doc, yes. the, the oh, way yeah, it definitely. is. And I think that it, it's worth your time, especially if you love those monsters, because they all bring it. They know? do. They all bring it, and, and they're all together in this one. They have Glenn Strange as Frankenstein's monster, but he doesn't. He does a fine job. Mm-hmm. You know, he's played it before. Doesn't have Karloff, although Karloff. It's funny. Was in I think the next one. That they made, I have Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. That's the <laughs> title of the movie. Yeah, that's great. But Evan Costello, and you know, to me, they are funny. I think it's their timing. You know, obviously, who's on first? That's a classic routine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that goes to their timing. And you can see it in, in this movie, especially with, with um, Lou Costello. You know, the scene where he's, he's sitting there reading um, the, the stories about Dracula next to the coffin. And oh, yeah. The coffin freak, and he sees the hand and everything. Those work, and like he's on the phone with with uh, uh, Lon Chaney Jr., Lars Talbot, and there's a full moon, and he's saying, "I turn into a wolf," and you, you know, Costello's like, "Yeah, and you and a, you and a thousand other guys." Yeah, yeah. It's you cool. know, I mean, it, there's it, the humor works in it. It does. And, it really and, does. And it's and it, it's it is a funny movie, but it it also doesn't pull back. I mean, one of the things Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. And he said what got him as he was watching it as a kid was it's a comedy and you're going along with it and it's a monster movie and it's not like one of those ones that's still frightening now or anything. But there's a scene where somebody gets thrown out of a window and, yeah, yes. and he's looking, he's watching, he goes, he goes, that person's dead. Yeah. And they just killed somebody in this, in this, in this innocent little comedy horror movie here. You know, they just, and he said that really kind of jarred him. When he saw that when he was younger. Yeah, it's funny how often things will do that, like where where death occurs and it's not really underscored, so they just let it pass. Like, this is very random and way off topic, but I was watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon with my son the other day, and at the end of the cartoon, Tom gets the guillotine, and you can't see his head get cut off, but you see the guillotine fall. Mm-hmm. And... And I think I remember that one. There's yeah. like set the obviously the French Revolution. Yeah, and he's executed, yeah. and it's like, yeah, they just did that right there because no kids would realize it. But that's amazing. But Doc, I was going to tell you. So with um, Bella Lugosi, I think one of the coolest things about him, next to being buried in his Dracula cape, is that he was born. See, it, it seems to me destiny that this is the guy that we call Dracula because uh-huh. he was born in what is now Romania, which is the same country of origin as Bram Stoker's Dracula character. And right. I think that's a very cool coincidence Oh, as absolutely. Well. Yeah. And, and you watch the first Dracula, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a very static movie, okay? Yes, it is. Todd Browning almost approached it like a journeyman director would. Hmm. He didn't put a lot 
in, in like like you, you he the camera does not move much. Yeah, the scenes are just sort of set up. You know, they they go as they go. He filmed it like Ozu would have or something. Yes, like. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. And the, where you really see it mm-hmm. is if you watch the Spanish version. Okay, interesting. Where the director moves the camera a lot more, and even in the scene, you know, like that big static shot of of the castle when they first arrive there in the first Dracula. Mm-hmm. You got that big static shot of the castle with the stairs and everything, and it's just a wide like shot. You see it for some reason. There's a there's a there's an armadillo running around inside there, <laughs> yes. um, which I guess was supposed to be a big rat. But <laughs> you look at it and you know it's an armadillo. That that's the same one from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's later. exactly right. It shows yeah. up later in Texas. Exactly Chainsaw. <laughs> right. That's, that's probably they use that. They put it on its back. It could be the exact same one. Um, but it's a static shot. Well. In the in the Spanish version, when you see Dracula, the camera like swoops up the stairs towards him. Like it's a lot more it's a lot more live. Mm-hmm. The direction more the cinematic. Vampire, more cinematic. Yes. Yes. The vampire does not compare. Mm. Okay. It just doesn't compare. I mean, Lugosi. If if they had used the director of the Spanish version to direct. Dracula. Wow. I think I think it would be far and away the best of all the Universal movies. And I heard your reviews of this. Now, didn't you tell me that like they filmed the Dracula with Lugosi in like the daytime, and yes. then they they filmed the Spanish one at nighttime? <laughs> so- the exact same sets that everybody came in at <laughs> night and shot it at night. That's hilarious. You know? And then vice versa. You know, the, the, they go back and 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 forth. Um, but seriously, if you ever get a chance, if nobody's seen it, watch the Spanish version to see how that the the choices that director made as compared to Todd Browning. And I'm a big Todd Browning fan. All and, right, I like a lot of his films. Freaks, I think, is mm-hmm. brilliant. Okay, yeah. that's that's a see. That's a great example of like if you know if maybe a, an aspiring film student or someone like that wanted to see you know, what a director does or how that can affect a film is just to compare and contrast those. And I and I believe that that Spanish version you're talking about, that's available in that awesome Blu-ray collection, right? The I Universal. believe it is. I think that's on there as one of the special features that, yeah. that's, that that's in there. If not, it's definitely in the old Dracula Legacy collection one mm-hmm. where they had all the different movies on there, including Dracula's Daughter and, and so forth. But Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I think it is on that Blu-ray set as well. And it's just very interesting. I I thought it was fascinating. I thought when I saw that Spanish version, I'm like, wow, this thing, it, you're right. It's more cinematic. That's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. It's more cinematic. Whereas Todd Browning could have been uh, filming a stage play, Mm -hmm. which obviously this Dracula was based on, you know, it was based on a stage play. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, and it has, well, it has Bela Lugosi going for it. Plus it has Dwight Fry. Who I've talked about before, and you know how really good he is in this movie as uh, I guess the Renfield character. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the two strengths I think of, of that movie. But you can't really under you can't undersell Lugosi. No, fact. I mean regardless of what happens with the cam or what what does not happen with the camera, it's Bella Lugosi is so good in that movie, and that's what's made it a classic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's his birth. Just as just seeing here, I, I get chills thinking about his, you know, children of the night. Yeah. You know, what beautiful music, you know, it, it, the way he, he yeah. delivers that and his stare. I mean, they use that stare in a lot of movies. Yes, they do. 
Yes, you know, there's do. there's one called The Undying Monster he was in where he's an insurance salesman. <laughs> but yet you still get those eyes. They still get the close-up of those eyes because he's obviously not just an insurance salesman. He's an evil insurance salesman because Naturally. he's probably Lugosi. <laughs> but, and, and he can use his eyes to control things. And, and the, even the opening of the movie gets a big, you know, close-up. You get – it's London Bridge and you see his eyes coming out from London Bridge like superimposed on it. So Super cool. Yeah, we should probably do an episode. I wouldn't mind doing a Lugosi episode at some point. Yeah, and review like some of his biggest. We can films. review his biggest. We can review some of his worst, even to see how. Like I'm telling you, I recently watched Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. Yeah, that one. <laughs> oh wow, is that bad? Yeah. Holy cow! What a stinker. Yeah. But when <laughs> Bella Lugosi is on screen, it's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, we should do it. We should get that as one of our themed episodes. I bet you Wolfman Josh would be all for it. Absolutely. That would be great. All right. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for uh, bringing it once again, Dr. Shock, as always. No problem. Thank you. Okay. So before we wrap up episode 33, I know this is a little bit shorter show than usual, but as you've heard, we're doing these three episodes within this week. And so we've broken up our content a little bit. Hope you're okay with that. But in the meantime, if this like 80 minutes or whatever it was, if that wasn't enough horror podcasting for you, let me direct you to a couple new horror podcasts that I learned about. There's one called a Horrible Podcast. It's Horrible Podcast. <laughs> These guys are great. I've listened to their show and um, I really dig it, actually. They have this very face value perspective on horror, kind of like an every man's approach to horror movies. They recommended that I start with episode four of theirs, and I, I really dug it. I think they're really entertaining. They've got that chemistry that people talk about, which is, you know, not always the case in podcasting, but sometimes you'll get a group of hosts and there's a really good, funny interaction between them. And you can tell these guys dig horror movies and. I like their, you know, man off the street approach to it and it's very relaxed and it's pretty funny and I think you'll really enjoy it. So I'll link the horrible podcast in the show notes here for this episode and definitely check them out. The other horror podcast I think you should check out, it's called 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. We'll have them linked in the show notes as well. They got 32 episodes out now, and they cover a lot of the newer stuff. I see they recently did the Halloween franchise as well, and they have a really nice site. They got this Hall of Fame page, and they're putting together their ratings where, you know, once they review a movie, they put it in this big archive of ratings. I've been trying to get that done on my podcast since back in the very beginning, so um, one of these days we're going to have one of these as well. So seeing that these guys did it, that made me want to man up and finally follow through on that. And we also have a horror hall of fame on our site, which we haven't done much with. So um, I thank the guys at 22 Shots of Moods and Horror for lighting a fire under me because I see that it can be done and they're doing a good job on their site. So go check them out as well. And we always like to highlight when we get an iTunes review and we got a new review here from... A.W. Lafferty, who gave us a five-star rating and said, Love this show. This is without a doubt the best horror movie podcast I've ever heard. I have listened to so many podcasts, and this one is of the highest quality with hosts that are truly passionate about the subject matter. For the podcast fan and the horror movie fan, this is a must-listen. So I just wanted to thank A.W. Lafferty for your review there. 
that's the very best way that you can help horror movie podcast is going to iTunes just like that and leaving a review. So thank you for doing that. We sincerely appreciate it. And then we got another one, which I just, I love this. This is hilarious. This is written by, and it says, Jan Gal's twin, a.k.a. Tim Jace. <laughs> that cracks me up. It says, uh, newbie alert, five stars. It says, I'm a fairly new listener. Found the show about a month ago, and it is excellent. Great hosts, Dr. Shock, film scholar, the Wolfman, film creator, and Jay of the Dead, film critic and ringleader, along with a handful of special guests, give reviews and recommendations for movies new and old, a fun and smart show for hardcore horror fans and casual ones. Subscribe now. So again, Jangel's twin. <laughs> you know, by the way, Tim J., if you really are Jangel's twin, you probably could have made a ton of money in the sequel to that if you look like that original guy. But anyway, <laughs> that's hilarious. Thanks for your reviews, guys. That it seriously makes my day when I go to iTunes and I see a review. I couldn't be happier with that. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 33 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening, but remember, join us this Tuesday for episode 34 where we bring you our cryptozoological horror episode part one about Bigfoot. We'll be joined by Boss Butcher of Terror Troop and director Eduardo Sanchez. So don't miss that. And then next Friday, episode 35 is our Black Friday horror episode where we'll be talking about the theme of commercialism in horror movies. Sounds, you know, sounds weird, but it'll be a good time. Anyway, we love your comments. Please feel free to email us. Um, you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and definitely get on the comment boards. We have a great community of people that I, I've never met and may never meet, but I tell you, I consider them among my friends. I know that sounds so weird because I don't really know you guys, but I, in some ways I feel like I do by reading your comments. So yeah, jump on the message board there at uh, horrormoviepodcast.com and leave comments in the show notes for this episode. You can also call in and leave voicemail at 801-382-8789, and that number's always in the show notes. You can find all our past episodes there on our website, horrormoviepodcast.com, including our archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find more of his music at frederickingram.com. I'll have it linked in the show notes. Make sure you check out Dr. Shock's amazing blog at dvdinfatuation.com and follow him on Twitter at dvdinfatuation and follow the Wolfman Josh Legary on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And make sure you come and listen to Josh and I over at moviepodcastweekly.com. We cover new releases that are in theaters of all genres every Tuesday. And all that stuff I just said is going to be linked in the show notes here for episode 33. And I think that's it. So thank you for listening and join us again this upcoming Tuesday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>